Esther chapter 6, verse 14 through chapter 7. While they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. So the king and Haman went in to feast with Queen Esther. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to Esther, What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men, and women, I would have been silent, for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, Who is he, and where is he who has dared to do this? And Esther said, A foe and enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. And the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine, as Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. And the king said, Will he even assault the queen in my presence in my own house? As the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs in attendance on the king, said, Moreover, the gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose words saved the king, is standing at Haman's house, fifty cubits high. And the king said, Hang him on that. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king abated. Good morning. It is a, oh, good morning to four of you. Good morning. It is, there we go. It is uh, good to be with you all again. It is good to be back. Again, I want to say thank you for your prayers while my family and I were away. Uh, if uh, people have asked many times, how is the family? Everybody is good. Um, as good as can be expected. Uh, people have asked, was your trip restful? And uh, I'm going to avoid answering that because I know my mother listens to these recordings, uh, but I will leave it to you like this. If you have ever taken a vacation to go see family, then you can imagine how restful that time can be. Some of you are already shaking your head and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Normally it is not a very restful time, but all the while it was still just a great trip. It was great to get away to see family, but it is great to be back. So I want to take a moment and say thank you for praying for us while we were away. Um, and so here we are this morning continuing through uh, the book of Esther. This is our series that we've called An Unexpected Savior. Now again, today is Palm Sunday. We are entering into Holy Week. And as we stated from the uh, beginning of Esther, I am hoping and praying that by God's grace, we are able to see the parallels between what is happening to Esther and the Jewish people 
people and ultimately what we see in the Gospels through Jesus Christ and what he has done for mankind. And so today as we look at our text here in Esther, the end of Esther chapter 6, looking into Esther chapter 7, I hope that we are able to see how we as believers in Christ are called upon to boldly confront sin and to ultimately seek the call for justice for those who are oppressed. Now, Again, that word justice tends to hit a little closer to home in our current cultural climate. You see, constantly, on the daily, really, we are hearing people cry out for justice. And so like you, I have been left wondering, what exactly are we crying out for? Or better yet, maybe we should start simply and define what exactly is Justice. Well, a simple definition is that it's the hope of fair behavior and equality for all people. Now, for believers in Christ, we believe in God as the one being just, which means that God alone behaves and responds on what is right and what is fair based upon his standard. Now, the problem that we have with the world's definition of justice and God's definition of justice is it all comes down to who is in charge. You see, for believers today, we say that God is just. We say that God is the one who seeks justice, but does so based on his terms because he alone is the creator and giver of moral law. Whereas the world's justice is based on what we think, what we believe is true, and what we think is and is not fair. You see, since our world is constantly defining and redefining justice for us on a daily basis based upon definitions made by mankind, as opposed to the very definition of justice given to us by God, it is no wonder that we as a society today seem to constantly rage. You see, the reality is when we forget God's word, when we forget God's law, when we forget his grace, when we forget and lose sight of his presence and we we forget and deny his power, then we have a tendency within our own selfishness and within our own pride to then take control of the situations that happen in our lives. And it's in that moment when we think that we are the ones who are in control, that is when evil and wickedness itself creeps in looking for a win. So as we get into our text today in Esther, this section should serve as a reminder that in the end, wicked will not win. You see, only God will be victorious. Now, I don't know if you've been with us any stretch of time through Esther, but hopefully you're being uh, starting to pick up on the theme of Esther being that God is the one who reigns supreme and that God is the one who will be victorious. So today we are going to see justice, but we're not going to just see any justice. We're going to see God's justice, and we will see how today that God's justice will always prevail, and it is doom and wickedness that awaits those who sit on the side of wretchedness and sit on the side of sin. 
So as we look at our text, as we just heard it read in a 24-hour period going from Esther chapter 6 all the way through verse 13 into verse 14, we've now seen a 24-hour period where Haman went from feasting with the king and queen and making plans to rid himself of his problem, which is Mordecai and the Jewish people, to ultimately finding himself in a position where he is now honoring the one he intended to kill. Now again, here's the spoiler for our story today. Our story will end today with Haman's life taken on the very device that he built to kill Mordecai. You see, when we read this story, we should begin to see and understand that even though we've not heard God's name mentioned directly throughout Esther, we can constantly see God's providence being played out for us. In fact, it was John Flavel who said it best. He said, if there is not an overruling providence ordering all things for the good of God's people, how comes it to pass that the good and evil which is done to them in this world is accordingly repaid into the bosoms of them that are instrumental therein? You see, for us today, we need to realize that each day that we are given, we are given as a part of the providential plan of God. And so we are called as believers in Christ to live for the glory of God and to live for the truth that is found according to his word. And so out of grace and out of love, we must be willing to look to the word of God in order to see truth. We must be able to look to the word of God in order to confront sin. And we must look to the word of God in order to seek the call for justice. So let's see this truth played out in our text this morning. First, we look to Esther chapter 6, verse 14. We see that Haman's plans were clearly beginning to fail. You see, he has just returned from parading Mordecai and honoring Mordecai. During this time, we know that Esther has been preparing a meal for yet another feast. And so Haman, in this moment, in hearing what would become prophetic words from his own family, did not plan on honoring Mordecai. So it's safe to assume at this point, in the same way that he had no plans to honor Mordecai, he probably did not plan to die by the means in which which he intended to kill Mordecai. So Haman, in what seems to be a state of shock, still being spoken to by those closest to him, he has yet to realize that his life is not about seeking his own honor, nor is his life about seeking his own recognition. Rather, it is about giving honor and serving others. So little does Haman know, nor little does Haman see what is coming next. As we read in verse 14, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. You see, our scene is now set for what would happen to Haman, and Haman never saw it coming. You see, this is a good warning for us today. You see, we need to check our pride for a moment. We need to check our own selfish desires. We need to check our own selfish ambitions because in our state of sin, of pride, we too can become blind to our own selfish ambitions and the hurt it is causing those around us. You see, when we no longer seek to glorify God, we are now missing our purpose in our call. 
We jump from there in Esther chapter 7 and verses 1 through 6, and the text reveals to us that obviously the call for justice, which is brought on by Esther, will ultimately bring and lead to confrontation. You see, the moment of truth has now arrived for Esther. The time has now come for her to reveal her identity and then begin interceding for her people. And so Esther invites the king and invites Haman to a second feast. Now, some of you may be asking at this point, why another feast? Again, this is a trend throughout Esther. Does this mean, as one scholar said, that Persians under the reign of King Azarus were actually the first Baptist ever mentioned in the Bible? I mean, they love to eat. I wonder if they ate fried chicken. Probably not. But this is where we find Esther, Haman, and King Ahasuerus. Some scholars have asked the question, well, with this next feast and what was about to take place, why was it even necessary? I mean, wasn't the parade and the honoring of Mordecai enough? Well, the answer to that question is no. You see, even though it was Mordecai who was paraded around, even though it was Mordecai who was honored, the Jews still had a problem. You see, they were still dealing with the impending annihilation that was still at play at this particular point. And so God's people still needed to be released from the edict that Haman had put in place. So this feast would become the scene where Esther would confront her enemy with great courage. Now again, bear in mind the very nature and character of Esther at this point. She has now come a long way in her walk. She has gone from the girl who was taken captive to becoming the hesitant queen to now we see her as a bold leader for her people. And yet none of this transition in her life was by her own doing. None of the things that have happened to Esther by this point were foreseen by Esther herself or Mordecai. Rather, Esther in this moment found her courage in God. And it would be his providential plan that would be played out. You see, the reality is for us today that God does not call any one of us to have courage in ourselves. Rather, as believers in Christ today, we are to take courage in him so that we may serve his purpose. In fact, it's at this point we would do well to remember the words of Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, when God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So you see, whatever confrontation that we face, courage will be required. And that courage will only come from the Lord when we faithfully stand upon his word. So as we continue to read, we would do well to remember that again in Esther, the true hero of this book is God. Esther was simply the vessel that God chose to use during this time. And so coming back to our text, we see Esther is now called for a second feast, which would ultimately become the second time she has now risked her life. 
So this time, instead of coming before the king unannounced, which could have cost her her life the first time, she now reveals who it is that she really is and who it is that her people are and how it is that according to verse 4, it would be her people who, according to an edict, have been sold to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. You see, Esther, in her call for justice, not only had the courage to be around Haman, but be with Haman in the room, and then to boldly call him out directly to his face. You see, it's at this point in reading Esther, we should pay careful attention to the words of Esther. We should be the type of people who lovingly look to one another and boldly encourage one another to continue to walk in our faith. And yet at the same time, we should love one another enough to call each other out for our sins. You see, we need to pay careful attention to the words. Notice for Esther, it's not only important what it is that we say, but it's important how we say it. In the midst of confrontation and finding courage and speaking boldly, we see through Esther that our words matter. So let us be a people who use our words wisely. Now the king at this point has now offered, upon hearing these words, to give Esther whatever it is that she wishes for, up to half of his kingdom. Now don't these words sound vaguely familiar to another story we read in the gospel. You see, these are the same words said by Herod Antipas when Herodias' daughter danced before his party. Again, there was a feast. Again, there was the showing off of a woman lustfully. Again, there was a promise, but ultimately this promise would lead to man's wretchedness and therefore lead to the death of John the Baptist. However, Esther, in her boldness, She didn't presume for one moment that she had the king's favor. Rather, she made her petition with careful wording and with grace. You see, Esther wanted her people to live. Esther herself wanted to live. But notice this in our passage. Esther uses the words destroyed, killed, and annihilated. These were the exact same words that came directly from the edict that Haman had now put in place. And so the reality is King Ahasuerus probably didn't remember these words. In fact, he probably didn't even read the edict. So it promises him or it prompts him to ask her who called for this mass execution. Now again, notice Esther's words. Esther was careful not to put the blame on the king, even though he probably deserved it. You see, he deserved the blame for his lack of concern. He deserved the blame for his lack of questioning and his lack of checking in on Haman. However, if Esther in this moment had accused the king then chances are he would have gotten defensive and ultimately he would have had her killed. Now think about that for a moment. Think about how we respond when we are accused. Isn't it interesting how we listen more when we think we are the ones who are not at fault? Why is it that 
our default response is to get defensive when we are being questioned on something that is clearly our fault. But coming back to our text, we see Esther's grace in her words. Notice what she tells the king. She says, if we had been sold merely as slaves, I would have been silent. You see, Esther recognizes here that the king's time is valuable. She recognizes the power that is found within her own words, but also in the words of a king. She understands that she is dealing with a wretched king who, in the midst of his own sin, would miss where it is that he is wrong and could ultimately lead to her very death. And so she reveals that her problem is not with the suffering. Rather, her problem is with the mass execution. I mean, can you blame her? If given the choice between suffering for years and execution, which one do you think you would take? Esther knew her choice. And so by the time we get to verses 5 and 6, we see that King Ahasuerus listened intently to Esther and was sympathetic to her cause. He now questions her as he wants to know who he needs to bring his wrath upon. And so it's in this moment that Esther says, a foe and an enemy, this wicked Haman. You see, Esther has now called out the king's most trusted servant. She has called out the one who was probably second in command behind the king, and she was bold enough to do it to his face. You see, we should pause and take note of these very words. You see, confrontation is never easy. In fact, confrontation will never be easy. And in Esther's story, for Esther, this, con this uh, confrontation could have led to her death. Esther had no idea what the outcome would be in this confrontation, but she knew that she needed to be obedient in her call for justice. You see, the same is true for us as believers today. You see, even though it won't be easy, we too need to be willing to confront those who are wrong. At the same time, we need to be courageous enough to listen when we are the ones who have committed the wrong. So as believers today, let's learn from Esther. Let's learn to be gracious enough in our words, bold enough in our words to confront sin directly. Matthew 18 teaches us exactly how this should be done. And again, do not mishear me for one moment. The call to confrontation is not to lead to discipline that ultimately leads to excommunication. Rather, the call for confrontation should lead to reconciliation so that brothers and sisters now in Christ can be restored to one another. If I can put this in today's current societal terms, we are not called to be a cancel culture. It is okay to disagree. It is okay to question. It is okay to work through those disagreements and to do so seeking grace that only comes from God. 
We get to verse seven and eight here of Esther chapter seven and we see the call for justice now moves from Esther's courage to King Ahasuerus' confusion. You see, the king has yet to make a decision apart from his own counsel by this point. And so it is King Ahasuerus who is constantly tossed back and forth like a ship in the midst of a storm by his own wretchedness and ultimately by the poor decisions of others whom he relies upon. And so here is a good lesson that we can learn from the king today. As God's people, we need to rely upon God's word so that we are not being manipulated by others. You see, there are going to be times where that manipulation is going to come, according to Timothy and Titus, from within. And so we would be wise to hold fast to the words of Paul in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, when he says, In him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. You see, we are called to stay grounded in the word of God and not respond the way we have have seen King Ahasuerus respond. You see, counsel can be good. Seeking wisdom from others can be good. But we would be remiss for a moment to think that our only counsel should come from others. We should seek the word of God and ask ourselves, what does the word say? Now, King Ahasuerus in this moment clearly had to be hurt. Clearly, he had to be confused by this news. In fact, we read that the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into the palace garden. You see, King Ahasuerus trusted Haman. He gave Haman his ring. He gave Haman his approval to do all that Haman thought was best to do. And so Haman was a trusted counselor who had now betrayed the king. Now, I am quite convinced that the king left this feast because he was processing what it was that he had just heard from the woman that he clearly loved. You see, he had completely disregarded everything that Haman was doing, not realizing until this very moment that it was now his queen who was in danger. And this danger was brought upon by his closest counselor. Now, to make matters worse for the king and really for Haman, we read that the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine as Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. You see, in these passages, we now know that the thought the king shows us is that he knew what he needed to do. And at the same time in this moment, he clearly believed that Haman had now decided to enact his plan against Esther while the king had stepped out. So King Ahasuerus had now seen enough. He did not need the counsel of others. He had all the reason he needed to have Haman killed. Now again, here's a good lesson for us today. Here we now see the importance of staying grounded in the word of God. As people today, we have to be careful who it is we are listening to and what it is we are listening to. We should never blindly trust what it is that we see or what it is that we hear. 
If we hear people talking to us about what is or is not happening within the church or amongst the believers, then we should check what it is they are saying from the leadership of the church, or better yet, check what it is they are saying according to the very word of God. At the same time, when people tell us what it is that we ought to think, what it is that we ought to believe about a variety of issues, whether it deals with politics or pandemics, before we make a decision, we should seek the counsel of the Word of God. You see, as Christians, we should always come back to the Word. Even when it's coming, the Word of Wisdom is coming from people that we trust. Sift it according to the word of God because there will be times where even the people we trust, they will get it wrong. But the word of God never fails. You see, unlike King Ahasuerus, we need to be the people who get all of the information before a decision is ever made. You see, hasty decisions will ultimately lead to bad consequences. We move from there in chapter 7 and we get into verses 6 through 10. And here we see the call of justice done according to the will of God is clearly a very powerful weapon. We have now seen Esther's boldness and her courage. We have now seen the king's hurt and his confusion. But now... Our attention turns to how God's justice will now bring consequences upon Haman. You see, Haman's edict and now his actions will ultimately lead to his ruin. Haman, in the midst of his own selfish ambition, in the midst of his own selfish drive and his own sinful pride, had no idea that Esther was a Jew. You see, Haman, in the midst of his pride, just wanted Mordecai and the people of Mordecai dead. Now again, there's a very valuable lesson that we can learn from Haman here. Our sins can and will have a surprising and unintended consequence, not only on ourselves, but also on those around us. You see, our sin will not only affect ourselves, but it will also affect those who care about us and those who love us and those who seek our counsel. And so coming back to our text, we see Haman's attempt to honor himself has now ultimately led to his own ruin. You see, that's the problem with sin. Sin doesn't give us a warning label that will lead you into potentially life-ending traps. Notice sin never says that to you. Notice when sin pops up in your life, you never see a thing that says, warning, What it is that you are about to do could potentially harm you and those who live within your household. Think wisely. Notice what sin doesn't do. Notice sin doesn't advertise itself like a commercial of a happy couple who is smiling and then in a low murmured voice tell you of all the harmful side effects that could be caused by your sin. There is no warning. You see, sin, though nice in the moment... Sin, though thinking it's going to give us everything we need, doesn't give us the fine print of the pain caused until after the sin is committed. 
You see, Haman was now entrapped. Haman was now entangled in the web of his own sin that he created. And this was all brought on by his own pride and his own need for self-glorification. So again, we would be wise to learn from Haman. Sin will only lead us to think about ourselves. But you see, as believers, we are called to sanctification, which should always lead us to look to others and serve them. Haman was experiencing the snowball effect of sin. He was experiencing how sin affects all of those around us and how sin erodes every aspect of our lives. And so after being confronted by his actions, Haman, we clearly see, was terrified in verse 6, and then he begged for his own life from Queen Esther in verse 7. But you see, here's the problem with Haman's actions. Even though he pleaded for his life to Queen Esther, and even though it was Esther who called him out and confronted him, Esther was not the one who was in charge. King Ahasuerus was. In fact, if I could Monday morning quarterback this moment for just a second, it probably would have been wise for Haman to rush out the door with the king pleading his case. But because of Haman's sin... Because he was caught in his sin and he knew consequences awaited him. It was Haman who was now out of control and he ultimately took a risk that would cost him his life. As one scholar said of this moment, when it comes to our sins and the consequences therein, we experience consequences of sin because we get caught. We get caught because we do not want to confess. We do not confess because we think we can conceal. We conceal because we don't want to confess to someone who cares. You see, in our sin, we tend to forget that it is God who knows the absolute worst about us. And yet, it is God who still loves us. As we even think upon Holy Week, we realize that it is God through Christ who atones for our sins. So if you are here today and you are struggling in sin, if you are struggling with confession to God because of your sin, or you are struggling with the fear of what others may think about your struggles and about your sin, then can I just free you for a moment from our text here? You see, our identity is not found in what others think about us. Rather, it is found in what God says about us in Christ. You see, Haman was caught. And the irony of this moment is that he pleaded for mercy when he was unwilling to extend mercy himself. All of a sudden for Haman, life was now important when it was his life that is now on the line. Haman wanted help, but our text never once shows us evidence of his repentance. You see, repenting from sin means that we are doing all that we can in the Lord's power to never return to it. 
Repenting from sin means removing anything and everything in our lives that would cause us to ever go back to it. And so the question we have to ask ourselves today is even in the midst of our own sin, because we are far from perfect, are we confessing to God? Are we repenting of our sin? Are we recognizing that what matters is what God has said about us through Christ Jesus our Lord? Do we even begin to see and understand what it is that Christ has done for us? Our text then takes us to verse 9 and 10, and here we see Haman was hung from the same gallows that he had built for Mordecai. You see, what he had built for another man's death had now led to his own demise. Haman wanted power. He desired it. Haman wanted a parade. Haman wanted fanfare. Haman wanted people screaming his name. And yet here at the end of his life, there was no parade for him. There was no fanfare for him. There were no shouts of joy for him. And there was no mourning. You see, Haman's sin had led to his undoing. So we have to ask ourselves, what can we now learn from our text today? Well, first, I want us to see that God in his providence can accomplish what he wants, when he wants it, and through whom he wants it done. This passage here tells us that God in this very moment has us right here, right now, for one specific purpose, and that is to glorify the name of our Lord. You see, that's what the church is. The church is a reminder of the victory that we now have in our resurrected Savior, and his name is Jesus. And so if we are going to celebrate anything, let us celebrate the accomplishment of Jesus Christ and what he did by the will of the Father for the glory of God. You see, just like Esther, our lives, this very moment, has been divinely ordained by the sovereign creator of the universe. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, what is God calling us to in this place? We also learn that Esther willingly risked her life for her people. You see, Esther could have been silent, but the reality is one man's sin would have led to the ruin of her people. So sin, when not confronted, will ultimately grow. In fact, if we are honest with ourselves, it is our sin that has ruined us. We read in scriptures, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We then read again in Romans, for the wages of sin is death. But then pay attention to how that verse ends. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, just as Esther saved her people, 
so God through Christ has saved us from our sin. We deserved death for our sin. But it was Christ Jesus who became the atonement for the wrath of God. It was Christ Jesus who became our penal substitution for the glory of God so that we could stand before God whole. You see, as we enter into this holy week, let us remember that when the people gathered around Jesus and the apostles and they began shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. This was not a cry of celebration in this moment. That was actually a word of lament, shouting, Lord, save us. You see, as believers today, we have recognized our own need for salvation. A salvation that can come through knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord. And because of that salvation, we have the greatest gift. We are now a part of the greatest story ever told. So let's be a people who share the story of what Christ has done on the cross and the victory that is now found in the empty tomb. So let's ask ourselves today, what are we ignoring? Coming into Holy Week, what are we ignoring in our lives? Is there some unrepentant sin that we need to confess before our Lord today? Is there a a call that, that God himself has placed upon our lives that we now need to be bold enough and courageous enough to faithfully follow and be obedient to? What is it that we are hiding that now needs to be revealed? You see, here's the reality again from our text. God will defeat his enemies. We can rest in victory because we know the end of this story. And the story ends with God on the throne because it is God who wins. God always works out his plan. God always uses us in the process for our good, but ultimately for his glory. So today, let us be faithful to the word. Today, let us confront sin. And today, let us seek the call for justice according to the word. Let's pray together.